0: Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. My very favorite scene through all of Dresden Files. I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about, Josh. There is a fantastic scene in Deadbeat, like bar none. Best i feel like because pilot. of
1: steven saying saying this it's gonna be like some type of unrequited love thing oh no no this is <laughs> th- this makes water balloons filled with holy water and paintball guns filled with garlic look just like child's play are we saying that there's like a tank going around with some type of you'll see better better you'll than see, that
0: you'll, you'll <laughs> better see. Than... what's up white court vampires this is Stephen. Welcome to another episode of Phantology. I have Ben and Josh on the line with me, and we're going to be reviewing Dresden Files number six, number five. This is number six, right, Ben? Number six, yes. Numero seis, Blood Rights by Jim Butcher. So what's up, guys? Not
1: much. Just coming to you live from uh, my wife's closet. So I can escape the kids
0: and it's good recording space at the same time.
1: And I'm coming to you from my in-law's house. In their basement.
0: Yeah, Josh looks like he's in a studio. I look like I'm in my bedroom, which is true. And Ben is in his closet, so you're gonna have good sound quality.
1: I kind of am in a studio. My father-in-law is in the business of like training and and doing corporate trainings, and so he's had a he has a little studio set up in his basement, so it's very nice. Josh, you look like you're coming to us from the
0: White Void, like John Oliver.
1: Oh, John Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. So this book, Dresden Files. Uh, before we do any spoilers. Let's just kind of talk about the plots, some high level stuff. So we'll let you know when things are going to be spoiled for you if you don't want that to happen. So my impression of this book was that it was not the best plot. The plot was a little jumbled. There were some plot elements that were definitely not my favorite, but it does probably the most thus far in the series to further the overall series plot along and it really builds Harry's relationships with the other characters really well. So kind of lower stakes, but more about Harry as a character and the other characters. Ben, what would you say? You just barely finished the book, right? Yeah, just barely
1: finished it. I would. Hearing you say that, I would agree with it. It's funny, though, because I didn't notice that as I was reading because I was so invested in finding out these huge things that were happening for, for our characters. So I feel like I didn't notice that the plot was lacking because it made up for it and with other things. So my memory of this book is that I didn't really enjoy it that much for whatever reason. I just didn't find the plots to be that compelling. The only part of it that I really liked was Thomas. And we won't do the big reveal yet because we're still doing a little bit no spoilers, I think. But I just remember not loving this book all that much. Yeah, I would disagree with you there. This is for sure been my favorite so far because of big reveals. And when I got done listening to it, I was like, how could Josh not like this book? I mean, I understand like if this information begins to be like common knowledge in the future books that you kind of look back on with some level of disdain for this book. But so far, it's I think it just did so much to further
0: the characters. Sounds like reviews for Blood Rites are kind of all over the place. If you watch Daniel Green's video, he hated this book. He said this was the book that he was going to stop reading Dresden Files after after reading this he gave it a very negative review. And I guess he must have continued because eventually he's now at the point where he really likes the series. But I thought that was interesting how much he just loathed this book. I'll have to go watch that video. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but take that with the grain of salt, because this guy also hates the name of the wind for whatever reason. So I don't I don't know if we can take his word as absolute truth.
1: You know, Steven, I think that he's reevaluated his opinion a little bit since
0: making those videos. Hopefully. Anyway. So before we get into the to this book, if you like what we're doing at Phantology, check us out on social media at Phantology Books. We have a website, com where all of our content and links are available there. If you if you'd like to chat with us more, even uh join our Discord and tell us what we're doing wrong, tell us what series you would like to see reviewed. And we're also available on Patreon. We have some we're starting to put up more and more exclusive content there. We have reactions from each of us as we finish books. I try to do little bonus pieces of content about books every now and then, and, and explain what we what we missed in podcast reviews. So check that out. There's a, there's a lot of fun stuff, and Fantology is growing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we're we're coming up on our five thousand mark. We may have already passed it once this uh, show is posted, but it's exciting times. Yeah, we love it. It's kind of a dream come true for me. I've always wanted to produce some sort of content and it's been fun to do with my best friends. So it's
0: great. Yeah, we're just having fun with this. And hopefully you as listeners are, are having fun as well. We also have some artwork that was just released from our friend Mark Wells. It's a, a fantasy library scene, but it's a crossover from six of our favorite characters from different series. It's something that I've always wanted to see because I haven't seen a lot of fan art that takes characters from different series and combines them together. So that's up on all of our social channels. So hopefully that's just kind of something fun to look at and and just kind of show the quality of the brand that we're building. We have some we have some high quality stuff out there.
1: Yep. And we have been doing a bracket for our top five series. And I think we just finished up the first round of that. So make sure to, to go vote for your favorites on
0: those. Yeah, I'm going at it today. My bracket is up against a, a fierce competitor. So we'll see how I do, but yeah, we have eight teams remaining, and we'll get down to a champion. And brackets are really fun, so maybe we'll do like a character bracket after this one,
1: like favorite character or most open. Yeah, yeah, like like
0: favorite character or some kind of like cage match type thing. We'll have to see what we do. Quick gut reaction: Would anybody choose Dresden for their favorite character? Well, I don't know if you'd win the whole thing, but he would definitely advance a couple rounds.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: Depends on the matchups, right?
1: Yeah, this will be fun. I'm already thinking about yeah, who Dresden would win against and who it <laughs> yeah. was against.
0: So, uh, But enough about Phantology. Let's talk about book six, Blood Rights. So if you've listened this far, we're going to hop into spoilers now. I guess we can do a content warning before we do that. So like all Dresden Files books, this is, if you've read Dresden Files before, you kind of know what to expect. There's some swearing, probably not anything too awful. Although, they, I mean, you definitely have to watch for that. There is some violence, mostly magical violence, but there's definitely some characters who are injured in some fairly serious ways, especially in this book. And there is some sexual content in this book, especially kind of has this awkward theme around it because Harry is investigating on a set of a porn film, which can obviously lead to some sexual content, although there's not anything that's too on camera, but there is that theme. And this is one of the things that I disliked about this book because it's just a little awkward. I, I don't know. Not something that I really care to read too much about. Well, so here's my thing.
1: First of all, I was surprised that he didn't. For all the male gazing that Dresden and Jim Butcher does in the series, there wasn't very much in the in terms of this plot element. It just kind of says a few times that Dresden looked awkwardly away from from where they were filming. So I was surprised that that it was nothing more... Gratuitous than that, and I also think that later on it added an element to this story with the White Court and them being involved in the in the porn industry. So I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool actually. So I don't know. I'll disagree with you on that hot take.
0: Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. It it adds some to the White Court, and and it makes sense. And like you said, it's a lot of kind of looking away. It's it's a TV fourteen type of plot. You know, there's some adult themes, but there's nothing ex- too explicit.
1: I just thought everything was really cringy on that set. All those scenes were just cringe cringy to me from what I remember on it. So I don't know. I think I more agree with Stephen than Ben on this one.
0: So let's get into the plot and listeners tell us what you thought about this book on Discord. So the book starts with, this is actually the scene that I remember the most from this book, looking back, is Harry is rescuing some Tibetan guardian dogs from a some kind of building I don't remember the exact setting and he's being pursued by these gorilla demons who are throwing their feces throwing their excrement as you know as apes do at him but it's like flaming and exploding and he's running away with this box of really cool dogs this was a fun scene and like all Dresden Files Jim Butcher likes to start you out right in the middle of the action and get you involved so did you guys remember this this portion? I, I really liked this beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, just Harry gets a dog. You know, like that's kind of the title that I had in my mind as I'm reading this. And it was super fun. This goes back to how great of an imagination Jim Butcher has with his mashup ability. You know, just being able to come up with these outlandish things and make it really fun. And then have like some type of meaningful thing happens to the character because of it. In this case, he has a little puppy that he's going to have, I assume, through the rest of the series, from your guys's foreshadowing from the end of the last podcast. I love this scene. I think it was so great. Like Ben said, it's Harry gets a dog, but it's Harry gets a dog in the coolest way possible, like you were saying, Ben. It's awesome. I love it. I can't say enough good things about how imaginative
0: Jim Butcher is and how fun it is to read this kind of stuff. Harry's always kind of overmatched, right? So, so I thought this scene was fun because rather than Harry just overwhelming his opponents being able to take down these ape gorilla demon things he runs from them because he's he's always overmatched and it's kind of fun to see a hero that's not able to really solve all his problems through brute force he has to rely on his friends in this case thomas bailing him out and jumping in the blue beetle escaping and he can't just blast through everything with his magic although he is able to take down the, the head gorilla thing with a nicely timed Fuego spell.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that it kind of shows that at the end of the day, he is like a PI for hire. Like he doesn't really care about defeating these, these creatures that are causing chaos. He just cares about getting his mark out, you know,
0: in which case it's, it's a puppy. It's a box of puppies. Well, I agree and disagree with that because he has a conversation with Thomas afterwards, after he drops off the puppies with the tibetan monk guy and thomas says something like you do all these things because he's like you've saved the world a couple times in the past couple years but here i see you you know delivering these puppies off and getting paid what's in it for you why are you you know why do you care so much about you know saving the summer and winter courts from fighting and and whatever so you see harry's got some conflicting uh, motivations right because he really does want to Save his friends and save the innocent people, but he also has to get paid at the end of the day. So he's a pretty interesting character in that regard.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think when the stakes are high enough, Harry comes through, and all other times he does the bare minimum. That's fair. (laughs) And that's what a lot of us do. I feel like that's a pretty good representation of the human condition. When the stakes are high enough, we do our best, and all other times we get by.
0: That's right. When I have those deadlines approaching at work, I'm working through the weekend. Otherwise, I'm just kind of doing what I need to. Okay, so after Harry escapes and has this conversation with Thomas, Thomas asks him to do a favor for a unnamed person as of yet. So Jim Butcher kind of like drops the the porn industry director thing on you as a surprise. But he goes and is ambushed by black court vampires before any of this happens. So this kind of sets up uh, half of the plot because this book is about half white court, half black court. And the Black Court tries to take out Harry. He's able to defeat it with the help of Mouse and a holy water balloon. So holy water packed into a balloon, which he's got on hand, which is another kind of funny way to take down a vampire.
1: Real quick, let's do a broad overview for listeners that may have had a hard time remembering. White Court are vampires that feed off of passion and sexual desire, right?
0: And emotion in general, yeah.
1: Emotion, yeah, just, yeah, they're emotional. Yeah, they feed off emotions. And they're the most human, and I think the biggest representation we have from them is Thomas so far. Yeah, and they're actually like human human, right? Like they don't really have much, like they they're extra strong and stuff like that, but they are kind of like Edward Cullen type vampires, right?
0: Yeah, I would. Yeah.
1: Okay, and then we got the Black Court, which are the traditional Dracula type vampires, right?
0: Yeah, and they're actually he mentions this a couple times that the book written by I don't remember the author of the dracula book but that was actually written as like a guide to killing vampires and therefore the vampires the black court vampires that still exist today are the super strong ones that were able to withstand these purges after their secrets were out
1: and then the red court are kind of more creature type vampires that feed off what what do they feed on
0: they're uh, i mean they're blood vampires right? just pure blood yeah yeah and they have like blood slaves and yeah, the Black Court and the Red Court aren't terribly different to me, to be honest.
1: Well, I think that the Red Court, they like transform into other creatures. Like they're not, they have like a human skin that they put on, but they're not really even at all human,
0: right? Yeah, Black Court have been turned as well. They were previously human. So which one is Mav? And
1: She's Black Court.
0: She's right? black yeah. Court. I don't think we see any Red Court vampires in this book. No. So previously, the Black Court were involved, I think, in book three, when Harry goes to the party. This is with the whole thing that goes down with Susan. There's Red Court and Black Court in that one. But yeah, Mavra and the other Black Court vampire, Bianca, were both were the big players in that book. And Mavra is still around.
1: Okay, yeah. So that's kind of a good recap. And that's going to be important because this book does focus a lot of vampires.
0: Yeah, so... After the defeat of this small-time black cord vampire, Harry goes off. Well, they meet up with uh, with Arturo, right? Arturo Genosa, I think is his name, Genoso. And he, this guy is kind of your like stereotypical... I don't know if there's a stereotype for a, a porn director, but this is how... He's kind of like a swarthy, swarmy guy. He's got like three ex-wives. And yeah, again, I, I didn't really love this... Part of the book, like Josh said, it was fairly cringy. But Harry starts to investigate the murders of a lot of the women around Arturo. And at the same time, he recruits Bob and Murphy and Kincaid, who who was seen, what, a couple books ago or in the last book. And Kincaid is like an assassin for hire. That's all we know about him thus far. But Harry is recruiting a, a bit of a a little team here, a following, to take down the Black Court and also to investigate what's going on with this entropy curse that's killing people. So
1: how does this curse work? Do do you remember? Like, what does it do?
0: So it's an entropy curse. And the idea is it's like anything that can go wrong will go wrong within reason. And it's killing. It's been cast. I mean, we don't know yet, but the targets are the women around Arturo. For some reason, we'll talk about this a little bit later on. So we won't spoil the absolute ending yet. But yeah, the, the idea is the curse is kind of like swirling around and it will take form at the worst opportune time.
1: Yeah, to me, this feels most like a Harry Potter spell that Dresden has, you know, where it's just like some creative spell that he came up with. And I don't know, it's kind of like Felix is from Harry Potter, where you just kind of get magically lucky and things happen that are really convenient for you. This is kind of the opposite of that. And I I really remember liking it and being like, yeah, this feels like a Harry Potter's magic system or magic spell. Yeah, I agree. I also think that it allows Jim Butcher's creativity to come through. I mean, some guy getting splattered from a falling turkey is pretty funny. I also, I was kind of disappointed. This was like Bob's time to shine, man. Harry investigating porn side, Are you kidding me? Bob should have been like just all over (laughs) this. And he really, I don't think he was that much. I feel like he just did his like, typical Bob thing where he kind of answers a couple of questions for Harry at the
0: beginning, but I was kind of disappointed that Bob didn't have his moment here. I feel like that's always the case from you. You're a big Bob fan, and you're always hoping for more. <laughs> I am a big Bob hopeful. I feel like I'm consistently let down by Bob. <laughs> he he does expand in later books, so keep on. This should have been his expanding book, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go forward to that turkey scene. Uh, a, a few things happen before we get there. So Harry's looking into these murders and he finds Thomas kind of lurking around and he jumps him because he's like, Thomas, what are you doing? Did you not tell me everything? And at this moment, uh, Lara, Lara, his sister, Thomas's sister, another white court vampire and Inari, who is his other sister. So Thomas has an older sister, Lara and or Laura. I, can't, I don't know exactly. What is the audio book? Uh, audio book, I think Laura. We'll go Laura. Laura Wraith. So Nari is his younger sister. Laura is his older sister. And they both jump Harry because he's attacking Thomas. There's a bit of a misunderstanding. Thomas gets shot a couple times. Harry doesn't. He's able to deflect some bullets. And then right as this is happening, the Black Court vampires hop in again. And Harry and Lara, uh, Laura agree to a 24-hour truce while they fight the Black Court And they defeat them using means such as a frozen turkey falling out of the sky and a high heel being stuck through the heart of one of the black court vampires. So this is, yeah, this is kind of Jim Butcher's time to shine with some of the ridiculousness and the common means of defeating the supernatural.
1: I mean, this is just so perfect. Like, you think about the stake going through the heart of a vampire as being like the number one way to kill them. And Jim Butcher turns it into a freaking high heel. (laughs) Driven through the heart of a vampire, like that's awesome, and this is why the series is just so over the top. Yes, you can call it corny and you can say, okay, it's kind of ridiculous to the point of some people may not like it, but I just think it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I i like this scene as well. I do think that the sisters kind of became interchangeable
0: a little bit for me.
1: I wasn't like, I didn't have the easiest really? time, fo- yeah,
0: at the beginning or later on, because later on their plot lines diverged tremendously at the beginning at the beginning yeah
1: i mean at the end obviously i can i'm able to track them a little bit easier let's see what else did i I had a
0: lot of thoughts about this scene when i was reading it i have a fun line from the scene okay let's hear you going. yeah so after the frozen turkey falls and splatters the vampire harry says for my next trick anvils (laughs) yeah
1: yeah pretty good
0: yeah totally corny like josh was saying absolutely ridiculous but it works because it's just jim butcher leans into it so hard and. And it's awesome. It's funny.
1: Yeah. I think that this is also kind of funny because I feel like Thomas kind of took Harry's place in the guy that gets beat up throughout this book. Like obviously a little bit later on, Harry has this like one injury that really kind of puts him down. But Thomas Thomas is the one that has the decreasing health bar consistently throughout this book. And he gets shot right here. There's going to be other things that happen to him later on. And so that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. I guess we can kind of go through t- t- uh, a little bit further now because... Like you said, Thomas has been injured. Harry has withstood any major injury for the first time ever in reading Dresden Files. And he spots someone and not been injured. So they go to the Wraith Mansion, owned by Lord Wraith. And he agrees to honor the truce, the truce that Laura set up. But Thomas is, is gravely injured. And so he's taken to feed off of uh, Justine his girlfriend-type person. It's kind of weird because Thomas has feelings for her. But at the same time, as a vampire, like he needs this emotional passion that Josh was talking about in order to survive. But Harry doesn't like this because Harry's, you know, obviously against any kind of innocence, especially women being injured. So this is kind of a conflicting moment. And then at the same time, Inari, the younger sister, is told to feed off of Harry by Lord Wraith. Lord Wraith is not someone to be trusted. And Inari doesn't realize she's a vampire quite yet, or she doesn't realize what her family is doing. So this is an expansion of the Wraith family plot. And then it expands even further when Harry realizes, or Harry learns that him and Thomas are half brothers. After Thomas is healed, he takes them to look at paintings of the woman in Lord Wraith's life. And the last or the second to last one, is Gwendolyn Lefay, Margaret Gwendolyn Lefay, who's Harry's mother. And this is a big eye-opener. This is huge for the series.
1: Yeah, this really confirms the fact that Harry's parentage is really going to have a lot to do with the series moving forward. Up until this point, it was kind of like a a Star Wars situation where you didn't really know if Ray's parents were important or not important. You know, you kind of got foreshadowing both ways. And now we find out that, Harry's parents are really important and that you're going to need to go look back at his family tree a little bit moving forward. Okay. A few things I liked and disliked. I disliked how quickly Harry was able to get over the fact that Thomas might have just killed Justine. I mean, here's the thing. We all know we can't really hold it against Thomas because this is just how he is and he's doing his best. And it's kind of ridiculous to be for Harry to be so upset about it. And that's kind of obvious but the fact that Harry's able to get over it so quickly is kind of annoying to me. Obviously that happens because there's a plot element that's revealed that it, Thomas is a brother and he's able to get over it in large part because of that. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is th- was that annoying to you when
0: you were reading it? Maybe a little, but he was distracted, obviously, by you know this, this lost message from his mother coming through the soul gaze that he has with Thomas. And his mother is telling them that they need to help each other. And also that she has done something to damage Lord Wraith, who seems like more and more of an enemy that needs to be taken down. So, I mean, for Harry, who, what, his mother died when he was very young. Didn't didn't she die at birth? Well, that was what he's been told. Right, okay. His whole life, but not true. Because we learned that Lord Wraith actually killed her.
1: Yeah. Well, we learned that he killed her using the entropy curse. I thought that that could have been the birth as well. But maybe not.
0: Not sure. We might have to go back and, uh, talk about this one in discord i can't remember exactly how she died but yeah the fact of the matter is harry's getting a huge impactful emotional message here so i was okay with his priorities being realigned a little bit
1: yeah i guess that's true i also really liked how the soul gaze became combined with his mother's magic to send him an interesting message i feel like that was just a really cool application of the soul gaze and kind of gave it another level and kind of Insinuated how good of a wizard his mother was. You know that she's able to layer on these these layers of magic. And I thought that thinking about this, I was I was still blown away by that. That I was thinking how cool it would have been if in Harry Potter, if Harry's parents were able to like send him a message like that, which they
0: kind of do when like the wands cross or whatever. But I don't
1: know. I thought it was really cool.
0: Another kind of Harry Potter moment was when uh, Inari goes to feed off of Harry but he's protected by Susan's love, kind of like uh, Harry's protection from his mother a little bit, you know, the, the love spell protection.
1: Yeah, that's true. I thought that that was a, also a qualification that the vampires couldn't feed off of somebody that that had true love. And by the end, Justine and Thomas have achieved that. So it's like they can't be together because they love each other, right? So that was kind of interesting as well. I don't know, all these things, that's why, like, I didn't really care so much about the plot of the book because like all these things were happening that were really cool for me to
0: think about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's some kind of deeper things with characters, especially, and there's some other characters as well that Harry develops more of a relationship with. He continues to develop more of a trust with Murphy. Oh yeah. He recruits her to help with, uh, help with the mission. Right. But he also becomes more involved with her life. She's having some personal problems with her family, with her sister. He shows up at her family reunion for a little bit for a bunch of drama that goes down when we find out that Murphy's sister is now engaged to Murphy's ex-husband. And Harry's involved in these very personal problems.
1: And this is where I think Jim Butcher doesn't get enough credit for his characterization. Like just taking taking a few scenes out of these books and just using them purely to build up these characters, I think is really is really great. I love it.
0: And these kind of happen you know, in leaps and bounds as we hop from one plot element to another throughout the course of the plot. But the next thing that happens is more investigation into Arturo's plotline. So they realize that Arturo is about to get married for the fourth time. And they know now that the entry-breaker curse is going after the women in his life. So they're trying to figure out who to protect and where the curse is going to land. Harry goes back to the studio and... One of his ex-wives, Arturo's ex-wives, Trixie, holds Harry at gunpoint. There's a struggle and some stray bullets get shot around. And unfortunately, Emma, one of the stars, I guess, is killed by a stray bullet. And it looks like Harry did it because he's the one holding the gun. So he runs off, but things are not looking great for him because now he might be framed for a murder. But now he has to try to stop the, the next murder. He has to stop the next victim of the curse. And as this is happening, he gets Ebenezer to join up on the team as well. They locate Mavra's little uh, cult of black vampires, black core vampires at a homeless shelter. And Ebenezer and Kincaid and the rest of the team agrees that they need to go take out this nest. There's a, There's a name, specific name for a nest of vampires that I don't remember but they go to they go to take him out because otherwise they're going to feed off of all these homeless people and grow their grow their vampire sect even more and they go into a big fight with the vampires. So this fight was pretty fun. Do you guys remember the details around what happens here? I really liked this battle.
1: I liked the fact that we had Concade Kin- Kin- and Ebenezer teaming up and I really liked the fact that Concade Kin- and Ebenezer have this interaction before they go to battle where you find out that something is amiss with Ebenezer who apparently had a huge influence on Harry's life. I'm going to save more of that for later. And so this kind of provided like a cool dimension where they have this conflict happening before they go into battle, which I thought was cool. And also Murphy having to like kind of fully embrace the, other side of justice where she's suddenly like a vigilante type role she might have to kill people that look like humans but have been kind of possessed by the vampires so it kind of provides some real moral dilemmas for murphy which i thought was was way cool
0: yeah and it expands her relationship with harry more because she chooses to trust harry and go with the vigilante even though she's a lawman right she's she's the sheriff she's the one who should be enforcing the law Yet here she is kind of doing what's right, but having to compromise her morals a little bit in order to get there. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah. And so that's another thing. Like, I feel like the plot was lacking, but it was more of just a device to put these characters in in these compromising positions. I thought it did that very well. It was a little clunky, but I could really feel the dilemma for for Murphy and for uh, Harry working with. Kincaid and Ebenezer, even though we found out that that things might be a mess in those relationships.
0: And Thomas as well. I mean, that's a huge relationship that's now being explored. Yeah.
1: Do you think that the way that Thomas and Dresden kind of immediately start to bond
0: as half brothers, do you think that's realistic? They've already bonded a little bit. And yeah, I can see what you're saying, Josh. Like Maybe there should be a, a feeling out phase where they're like, wait, you're my brother. I don't know about this. But I think that message from his mother really helped bond them quicker because hearing your mother's voice saying you need to trust Thomas and help him, I think that really solidified the relationship and did a lot for it.
1: That's a good point. And they also had that soul gaze. So, I mean, when you can technically just know someone's, like, true personality, you know, then that probably goes a long way, too. Yeah, I I thought the soul gaze where it talked about Thomas reaching through the mirror and the creature reaching back towards Thomas – it really showed that he was like fighting to be a good, decent person. And I think Harry probably recognized a
0: lot of a lot of himself in that metaphor. And there's another soul gaze that happens as we go into this fight with Mabra, where he sees Murphy and Murphy's kind of like a, an angel or like a where, where Murphy's like a white knight in armor almost. And then he sees Kincaid, who is like a demon. So we get you know, the the soul gaze is really nice.
1: Yeah. That wasn't more, that was more of a true sight type situation. The third eye. Yeah. yeah, the third eye. We've actually seen Murphy like this before when she was fighting off the dream demon. We see her as kind of a white knight. Yeah. So I think that this does have a little bit of foreshadowing for the future here. We get the fact that, I mean, there's a specific scene I'm thinking of, Steven, and the people that are listening that have read Dresden when, when Murphy uses a resource that she has at her disposal
0: really well. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm actually not sure if I know exactly what you're talking about. We can can chat about it later.
1: Okay, I don't want to spoil anything for Ben, because it was a really cool moment for me, so I'm not going to say anything further. I mean, bottom line is Murphy has been
0: developed a lot as a character here. Yeah, and you're right. I said Soul Gaze mistakenly. This is just a third eye viewing. So yeah, we get a little also a little bit of backstory or a little bit of a reveal on Kincaid, because there's something going on here with the third eye sight. And then, like you said, Ebenezer has some kind of history with Kincaid, and Kincaid calls him the Black Staff, so that means something. But we're not sure yet. And we go into the fight, and a few things happen. The vampires are using mines and napalm blasts and flamethrowers. And children as hostage. They're holding children as hostage, which, who obviously need to be rescued, or they could potentially be turned into vampires. So it's interesting to see them use all of this, you know, human technology. And Harry has to use his resources in the best way to thwart this. So I guess we don't need to do a blow by blow of what happens. But the uh, the most important thing is that Harry tries to stop one of these blasts and he throws up a shield that shields them from the shrapnel or, or you know, whatever would have injured them. But a bunch of heat gets through. And horribly, Char's burns one of his hands. And this is an injury that is not healed, not able to be healed, at least not yet. We'll see what happens in the future, but it's really going to handicap him. And this is the first time we've seen Harry really experience a lasting injury that's going to drain him.
1: Definitely. I thought that this was pretty shocking because we do see Harry as being kind of invincible. I mean, I don't know. It's still weird because he gets beat down, beat down, beat down, but then he's fine by the time the next book starts. And we kind of get the feeling that this is going to be different. Did this remind you of any other fantasy book events? It's like a Dumbledore thing. There's a Dumbledore thing. Yep. There's another, there's another character that has oh, some. Gosh. Nice... There's actually a book that you have not read that we reviewed that we talked about characters that end up losing their hands. Don't go there. But I was also thinking about another series that we've
0: all read. Yeah. I can't spoil that one, but I, I know what you're saying, but yeah, hands are very symbolic in literature. they, represent your power right your ability to do things and so harry with his hand being injured it's not a good sign
1: yeah so that was that was crazy i felt
0: like it was kind of a little bit forced but
1: it was good what did you think about murphy kind of slithering out of her pants at the hands of Kunkade? and then like the fact that she like secretly loved it that was a little
0: weird yeah that was gonna be my worst of the best scene at the end <laughs> everyone hates this scene the fandom is united against this scene is ridiculous and sexist and every like, is, Oh man, this is one of those things where I feel like Jim Butcher might want this one back.
1: Yeah, this is exactly what I think that if I'm remembering Daniel Green's video, this is the biggest issue that he had because it's really taking this big, strong female character that everyone's that everyone loves and just turning it
0: into some, just it's not in her character to do. It's weird. It's just, And it doesn't make sense either because she's doing it to slither underneath a laser. Yeah. What are these? Yeah.
1: Yeah. This feels like some like early 2000s action movie sequence where it's just you want to get a sexy actress like in as little clothes as possible. You know, it's weird. Exactly. Also, I think that it's weird that suddenly Harry becomes like somewhat attracted to her and you're like, oh, come on, Harry, keep it in your pants. You have all these other women that you have these relationships with and Murphy is just supposed to be like this solid person that's off limits for you. So are you like not on team Murphy, Ben? least not right now. No, I mean with Dresden, there's always like, you know that he's
0: always attracted to basically anything with legs. Sure. But he doesn't have any relationships going on right now. I mean, the thing with Susan at the end of the last book, he was taking down her pictures and that pretty much came to some closure. That's true. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the battle with Navra, They take her down with a paintball gun that is loaded with garlic and silver. And then Kincaid goes and cuts off her head and she's defeated. She kind of goes down a a little, maybe a little too easy. And they reflect on that at the end of the book. So we'll see what happens there. But this is, again, kind of like the holy water balloon. He's using a paintball gun to take down a vampire. Another fun thing.
1: Yeah, I was just going to compare it to the water balloon. It's very creative. So props for that.
0: So after this, Harry now has three days from Kincaid to pay him or die. Pretty dire threat because he obviously he hired Kincaid to help him. And Kincaid needs to be paid. He's a, just a hitman. So that is, that's kind of looming. And Harry figures out, you know, he's still got to take care of this white court curse so they know that it's going after someone that arturo loves him and ebenezer have a fallout he's learned now that ebenezer is the black staff and he's a wizard that's able to break the laws of magic and that's what he was doing when he brought down the satellite at the end of the last book and he also learns that lord wraith is responsible for the death of his mother ebenezer tells him that and that lord wraith himself is protected from magic and he learns that ebenezer trained Harry's mother. So, a bit of an info dump here, but also some big character emotional moments when Harry just tells Ebenezer to get out of his life because he's lied to him too much. What'd you guys think of this? I I mean, Ebenezer is a character that is kind of entering the scene, but then also kicked out pretty quickly because he's kind of been in the background up until this book, right?
1: Yeah, very much so in the background. He kind of comes in to help Harry with the white court at the beginning of Summer's Night, I think. And it's almost it's kind of weird i think that his character could be done super well in future books it's almost like he's kind of a dumbledore type character and the fact that like he tried to train harry's mother but that didn't go well and she kind of went off the deep end made some wrong decisions and so then he was kind of trying to atone with uh dresden and kind of take some more liberties when training him and so i thought that was cool and it, it also like Harry is just irrationally mad all the time and it kind of gets annoying for his character, in my opinion. Well, but here's this guy who he looked to as almost like a father figure who didn't tell him a lot of information about his mother. You know, he knew all about this and trained Dresden and took Dresden under his wing and kept a lot back from him. That must be pretty, pretty hard to hear.
0: Yeah, I agree. These moments are always frustrating because you're like, just trust the character. You know, he's he's a good guy. But if you put yourself in Harry's shoes and realize all the emotions, sometimes it's hard as a reader, I think, to really understand the emotions that go into decisions that are made. And it's frustrating because you want to just say Ebenezer's on the good side, go with him. But at the same time, looking at it from Harry Dresden's shoes, it's an emotional snap decision. And I think it makes sense for his character.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense for his character. I
0: think that maybe is on Butcher
1: for not riding the weight of those emotions as well as he could because I feel like he kind of defaults to saying I felt this anger rising up in me that the words came forward from my mouth like a whip you know what I mean like I feel like it's there's not as much like this information just crushed me and I couldn't process it and I found myself walking away without really knowing what's going on I feel like that's more of what would have happened rather than just
0: feeling this huge amounts of anger I almost feel like it's because Ebenezer hasn't been a main character quite yet. So you don't understand the, the backstory of the relationship. I mean, it's explained to you, but you don't feel the weight of it as a reader. Like let's say Murphy was to have been revealed to have been withholding vital information from Harry and Harry felt betrayed by her. You would understand that one because yeah. they're, they are already have a really strong relationship. That's true. I agree with that. So moving on, Harry is now uh, in full. We need to stop the Arturo curse mode. That's the next thing that needs to happen. The Black Court plotline is kind of taken care of. And and really, that was my main issue with the plot. You're bouncing back and forth between the white and the black too much. And there wasn't as seamless of a plotline as we've seen in other Dresden books. So we're in the White Court plotline now. Harry makes an alliance with Laura and they go to save Thomas, who's been taken captive by Lord Wraith for some reason. We now get the sense that Lord Wraith has been behind this curse from the beginning So this next fight is happening in a cave that's on the Wraith property, right? It's kind of nearby, in the deeps, I think they call it. And they realize that Wraith can't be harmed by magic, but he's been unable to feed for years because of Harry's mother's death curse. And as they go in to stop him, Harry and Murphy are captured right away, about to be used in a ritual that will call this demon. The demon's name is He Who Walks Behind. I think we've seen him before, briefly. And then everyone just kind of fights. The demon is sent back. And I, I don't know what you guys think of this scene. There's a lot going on, but really it just kind of like boils down to a fight.
1: I thought that Murphy kind of redeemed herself here. She was able to somehow withstand the most powerful vampire persuasion, most powerful white vampires persuasions and get the drop on them. So that was cool. Good on Murphy for doing that. I thought that It's a typical Dresden situation where there's a lot of things going on and Dresden somehow manages to outwit everybody.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of magic being flung around. There were a few little tricks that you as a reader didn't quite expect, like Murphy pretending to be taken by Lord Wraith, but then flipping the script and freeing everyone. And that that starts the, the fight. And then at the very end, Laura goes in and drains her father. And her father is now like her thrall and subservient to her. So Laura is now the true power of the white court. And I guess we didn't really talk about Laura Wraith too much. She's going to be a character going forward as now the, the de facto head of the white court, but she's just like, once again, the most beautiful woman in the world that Harry has ever seen. She's also very smart and and cunning and, and pretty cutthroat. And she takes control of her family. Her and Harry have a bit of a standoff understanding because they both have some information about the other that they don't necessarily want to get out there. So Harry finds himself in somewhat of a position of power. He's almost like a swing vote in survivor where he's, you know, he he knows some information and this is going to be important later on.
1: Yeah. So what did you guys think about this? Like mild incest that is supposedly happened with the white court. It was weird. I didn't
0: like it. Didn't like it at all. Josh is cringing super hard over there. Yeah, it's it's totally weird. I mean, we don't like these ideas for sure. It's how the White Court operates. So, you know, this is the the vampires that Butcher has created. They feed off of energy, especially sexual energy, and that's what happened. I, I don't I don't
1: I don't know. I feel like you could have done a better job of either having there be some politics where Laura takes control over her father through like political intrigue. Or where she uses his emotions as her, him being her father, like, uses those emotions to feed off. Or just something besides just this weird incest thing of, I don't know, it was weird. I didn't like it. I feel like it could have been done better.
0: Yeah, I I could see that. Like, maybe he's getting very, he's getting very angry. Or there's just a lot of emotions coming to bear and then he gets sucked dry or something like that. I mean, it happens off camera, so it's not too... graphic or weird but yeah you're right the idea is just cringy it's also cringy to know that the father consistently
1: does this with all the with all of his daughters and then like systematically kills his sons i feel like it could have been done right and it wasn't you know like it could have been done like these are almost like another breed of animals where the i feel like insects do this a lot where the mother like kills the father i don't know It was just weird. Where it was just almost, it was just in their nature for for her to do that to him. It was weird.
0: Yeah, big no for me on this one. This is big nope. Yep, big nope. Like you said, Josh, it was for sure cringy. I think we're pretty much through the book. There's a few loose ends to be tied up, but yeah, I'll agree. I think the plot of the book overall was a big cringe, but the character development is crucial for this book and the books going forward. So overall. I don't know, one, not my favorite. I know Ben said you really, you really like the books and you're continuing to you know, say that every subsequent book is your favorite as you've gone forward, which is a good sign. But I think we can we can recognize there's some shortcomings in this one.
1: I think after book three, it, it starts getting better. A few things that we didn't talk about in this book that might be, that are foreshadowing going forward is one of the times that Harry casts Fuego, it smells like sulfur or something, right? And he calls forth hellfire instead of his normal fire.
0: Yeah, so Hellfire is a spell that, like, empowers his other spells. As if he needs more power behind his fire spell. Yeah, his fire spell, his, his main one, his Expelliarmus, per se. <laughs> uh, another Harry magic user that only has one spell. But he realizes that the demon, Lashiel, I'm gonna say. I think that's the right pronunciation. This is the coin that he picked up at the end of the last book to protect Harry Carpenter. And he encased it in cement and thought he was safe. But after his hand has been burned, he looks at his hand and sees an imprint of the symbol from the coin, and he realizes the demon is in his mind a little bit somehow, and is empowering his spells. And yeah, this is going to be an issue.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is the second book in a row that you are left with this cliffhanger that has to do with the denarians? denarians. Yeah, interesting. Stuff like that I really think is pretty smooth when Butcher layers that in there. And I really like how he foreshadows without just giving away
0: everything that's going to happen. And you're starting to see in every book, it's like every part of the Chicago verse magical world appears. I mean, you don't have any fae in this book, but in future books, it's going to be, you know, every different element is in the plot line. And like Josh said, the layers are there. And that's what makes the, the Dresden Files really fun when you see all of these crossovers all the time. Yeah. So one other thing that happens at the end that they kind of reflect upon, they're like, man, Mavra was defeated really easily. (laughs) Seems like it might be a a problem. And that's all we have for this book. So we'll see where that goes. And we get a name for Harry's dog. He names him Mouse. I don't think Mouse actually does too much other than alert some of the vampire attack at the beginning. But one kind of funny foreshadowing line, I think this is one of the very last lines of the book, is harry looks over to thomas thomas is now his roommate by the way i guess we didn't mention that but thomas has been kicked out of the white court and is rooming with harry thomas paid off the debt to kincaid as well so they have a pretty strong bond now and thomas buys mouse some food and harry looks over and says hey thomas why'd you buy the large breed puppy chow because mouse is just a small dog but here's some foreshadowing as well we'll see what happens with mouse
1: I can't believe I actually made the joke at the end of the last podcast about a cat being in this situation. I know. That was hilarious.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's already got a cat. Yeah. Mr. and Mouse.
1: Yeah. So I thought that that was, I thought that everything about Mouse is is just done really well. And especially the fact that like Murphy really loved taking care of him for a large part of the book. I'm on team Mouse right now. He's probably, he's up there in my rankings in my power rankings. He's like the Bella of this book.
0: (laughs) From Wheel of Time, right? Right. Yeah, you always always have to get behind the lovable animal creature.
1: So should we do some worst of the best?
0: Yeah, I think we've gone through all the plot stuff. I already kind of hinted at one of my worst of the best. I bet I can come up with another one. But do you have one other than the pants scene?
1: Yeah, so this whole threat of Concade killing Harry because he couldn't um, pay off his debt. First of all, this is quote unquote, I called it. But like it's very it was very obvious to me that Thomas was going to be the one to pay off this debt. Because, like, you see Thomas, like, driving around in these fancy sports cars, like, throughout the series. And you know that he has kind of, like, this unlimited supply of money. I know that kind of changes at the end, and it kind of ups the stakes a little bit. But you're like, okay, Harry's working with this, like, uber-rich dude and also has a huge debt. It felt pretty obvious that that's the way it was going to be resolved. The stakes didn't feel very high. Like, Harry was going around thinking that he might be killed by concade throughout the book and you're like come on dude obviously that's not going to happen thomas is probably just going to pay your debts so i feel like the best was this whole kind of layering layering in concade as a as a player in the series and the worst was this looming threat that concade could kill harry because he didn't pay off his debts in time i thought that was a pretty weak plot line so
0: there's my worst of the best for you but maybe Thomas is just being hinted at the, I mean, he's got the money, it's it's being set up for him to pay off the debt. I mean, I guess you just didn't think the threat was real, was the problem.
1: Right. It wasn't
0: enough of a threat to me.
1: And I think some part of that was because I, I could see a very clear resolution to the threat. Let me
0: just say, this is an interesting take that you've had. And very interesting. in future books, you might look back and think, oh, interesting. But I, I, that's all we're going to say for now. <laughs>
1: That's interesting. Okay.
0: And I, I don't... There's no way. I don't think there's any way you'd be able to predict what we're talking about. Okay.
1: Okay. My worst of the best is this book just as a whole. <laughs> this is the first time I finished a Dresden book and I I wasn't like in love with it. You know? Dude, how do you say that, man? You got family being like such a central theme. You got like Murphy's family. You got Harry's brother-in-law. You got half-brother, not bro- or, yeah. sorry, brother. Sorry, half-brother. And that's the thing is... Looking back, like I like where a lot of the things that were introduced in this book went, but when I was reading the book, just like straight up, when I was reading the book, and after I finished the book, I didn't like like it wasn't one of my favorites, you know. And I was like, well, that was kind of a lame book. And where everything goes after is I like, and I just don't like the wrapping that butcher put around it. This book, like with the plot, with the none of the plots felt very compelling to me. Like the three different plot threads that were going on with the White Court, Black Court and the curse and all this stuff just none of it felt super compelling and it's annoying because a lot of the times the plot is fine for me with Dresden like the individual plots of the book I like those kind of investigative let's go from scene to scene and find out clues that lead us to the next scene I really like that structure and for whatever reason I didn't like in this book because I don't think it was very strong because I think that they were trying to do too much and there's my rant about this book.
0: I'm going to double down on that in the time that you guys have been talking. I've been unable to come up with a new specific scene for Worst of the Best. So let me double down on what Josh said and just add the reason why I think you get that feeling is this book seems like such a setup book, but it's book six. It's like a mid-series setup book because you have so many different elements that are just hinted at or introduced that are going to become important Futron. You have Mavra. You have Mouse. I mean, Mouse is just kind of fun but he's just barely introduced and he's going to be important later on. You have Thomas being introduced as a more important character and you have the demon Lashiel. Lashiel, He walks behind. Well, no. So I guess uh, Lashiel is the Denarian. Denarian. Oh, not the demon. So yeah, demon, I don't know, fallen angel, right? So you you have the fallen angel Lashiel, and then you also have, he walks behind the demon. So you've got all these different things. You have the white court being changed. And you have all of Harry's personal history with Ebenezer and with his mom. Yeah, it's just like too much yeah. for one book. And the plot that it's that's used to wrap around it is just cringy. And so the whole thing just kind of leaves you with this weird taste in your mouth. You're like, okay, this is interesting, but I didn't really like what the actual story was. But maybe these things will become more important later on, and they will. And Jim Butcher does really well in future books, but this one, eh... Wasn't feeling it. That's fair. I guess like it's easy to say that. I
1: mean, it's easy to say that the foundation of any building is ugly. You know what I mean? When you see the finished product. And so for me, it's like, but for me, seeing the foundation being created was fun in this book.
0: And you do have a different perspective than us right now, because this is your first read through. You haven't read any further. Josh and I are current up to date with 15 books under our belts. So this is right. an interesting, interesting to see the difference in opinions between the two reading. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say, Ben, look forward to the next book. The next book is Deadbeat and has, contains my very favorite scene through all of Dresden Files. Ooh. I think, I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about, Josh. Oh, there yeah. is a fantastic scene in Deadbeat, like bar none. Best I feel like because Files.
1: of Stephen saying saying this, it's going to be like some type of unrequited love thing. Oh, no, no. This is, <laughs> th- this makes water balloons filled with holy water and paintball guns filled with garlic, like just like child's play. Okay, okay. Are we saying that there's like a tank going around with uh, some type of... You'll see. Better, better you'll than see, that. Man. You'll, you'll <laughs> see. Than, a bomber, a plane bomber gonna... Just watch, oh, just, just read. It's This is great. Okay. This is like, if Dresden Files ever does like a really good TV adaption, this is the scene that if they cut it, I'm no longer a fan. I will distance myself <laughs> from it. This better dang well be in it.
0: Yeah, throughout the entire climactic scene in the next book, You've just got this, like, ridiculous goofy grin on your face because this scene is so awesome.
1: Okay, okay, fair. Ben's going to hate it now, watch. <laughs>
0: I know, I'm going to be like, this is so over the top. This is... If this appears in your worst of the best for Deadbeat, I'm going to be so mad.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, I think one thing I will say at the very end of this recording is where the heck are all the Dresden fans at, man? We have such a strong following on Discord for like all these different series, but there's no Dresden fan. So if you're a Dresden fan and you want to represent your fandom well, you got to get on it here because yeah, we've done like six of these so far and I don't know. Well, these episodes get a decent amount of like downloads, like enough people are listening to them. We just have nobody active on Discord that wants to really come in and talk about Dresden I feel like.
0: Okay, Dresden fans, you've been called out. I've had trouble getting these posted on the subreddit for some reason the uh i I don't know if we have enough karma or something or the mods don't like us but I'm, i'm gonna try harder to figure out how to do that and yeah dresden fans please join
1: well that might be a plea because i know a lot of subreddits have rules around posting your own content so if you do enjoy our content and are a dresden files fan hop onto the sub and and maybe post a link to these episodes that would help us out a lot and really because not even just so that we can get more downloads or whatever we just really enjoy talking about this type of stuff and right now i want i want like people that are reading this book um for the first time to talk about it with there you go there's a there's a call out for
0: dresden fans also interesting because i saw a tweet from the legendarium who's another podcast that's pretty similar to us and they were saying dresden fans are their like number one most passionate so
1: maybe there you have the community that they (laughs) that they
0: feel at home in yeah well if you want
1: a second home come here (laughs) <laughs> you you have your mansion over there with legendarium now yeah. come over and bunk with us at harry's house you can be like thomas and we'll put you up in a small little apartment
0: <laughs> buy us some dog chow all right <laughs> thanks guys thanks for being on this has been fun uh if you if you like what we're doing at phantology check us out at phantology books and on dot com, where all of our links are join our discord the, the the discord invite link is all over the place in our socials and maybe look to support us on Patreon as well if you're a big fan. Okay, thanks, Ben and Josh. Uh, we'll see you guys next time for Dead Beats or for some other episode that we will record. But uh, yeah, we'll see you guys later.
1: Cool. Thanks, thanks, Evan.